0: You're listening to BuddhistGeeks.com, April 2nd, 2007, Episode 13, Gimpo Roshi on Big Mind. In this episode, Gwimbel interviews Gimpo Roshi, a Western Zen teacher and lineage holder of both the Soto and Rinzai traditions. He is also the author of four books, as well as an upcoming release entitled Big Mind, Big Heart. In this podcast, Gimpo Roshi discusses Big Mind, his unique method of introducing practitioners to their true nature. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Gimpo Roshi, and be sure to share your thoughts, insights, and experiences in the comments section of the podcast post. If you're interested in sponsoring our podcast, please visit www.buddhistgeeks.com forward slash advertise.
1: I read your book yesterday.
2: You read the whole book yesterday?
1: Whole book. What did yep. you think? And I went through the process
2: uh-huh. so, Big
1: Mind for the first time. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really uplifting read and it's really uh, inspiring read. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'd love to, you know, hear a little bit more about kind of the process of writing for you and uh, writing the book. Like, did it take a long time to write or did it just sort of evolve over time? How did that happen?
2: All right. Uh, Well, absolutely it evolved over time. You know, I started doing the big mind work in June of 1999. And... In fact, Ken Wilbur had invited me and offered me a lot of money to write this book about four years ago. And I didn't want the pressure because I needed to feel it came when it was ready to come. And I was in Hawaii May and June uh, with my children. They're not kids anymore, they're 20 and 24. But we were there together and, you know, they can kind of do their own thing and have a great time. And I had a lot of time on my hands. So within 10 days, I actually wrote the whole book. Uh, So it came out very quickly. And I did part of the book on my Blackberry uh, with my thumbs, just typing it out. And then I did the rest by telephone, uh, where I called my editors, who also then transcribed the telephone calls. And the whole thing in 10 days. But now it's taken us six months of editing to get it ready as a book. But uh, the actual writing was in Hawaii, over 10 days.
1: Are you going to keep it right at 99 pages? Yeah,
2: well, you know, as the format for the book, uh, I think it changes the number of pages, but I don't know exactly what it is, but it'll be around 200 pages. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's pretty, it's very compact. It is, and
2: we actually, when I originally wrote the book, there was a lot more material and we took and we divided that material and we actually made two books out of it the next one will come out and we'll start working more on it once this one's printed uh but i've got the material for the second book already and that goes more into the development of spiritual practice uh far more than the first book so the first book is really for beginners and people who want to get acquainted with the big mind process they could be long-time Zen students or not practicing at all. The second book will be for those who have read the first book or done some work, and they'll find it, I think, very interesting. And it will go much more into uh, the depths of Zen training.
1: So one of your hopes with the book um, is to maybe in some way change the trajectory of kind of the current
2: um,
1: political or environmental or... um, world situation to make it better for future
2: generations that's absolutely correct uh and and more than just environmentally and politically but every way you know uh educationally um i think i was an educator i I started teaching school when i was 22 which obviously is a long time ago now Uh, and i think that uh we need to be teaching our children uh how to get more in touch with who they really are. And as you know from the book and, and uh, from the work, it's, it's kind of obvious that within every one of us is all the wisdom that has ever been. Uh, and we just have to tap into it. And I think with our children, uh, they're not taught how to do that. Uh, they're taught, you know, the three R's. They're taught how to think on some kind of rational some kind of dualistic level, but they're not really taught how to tap into their resources of their mind uh, and what's potentially possible for them. So we want to affect that area too. So also political, uh, we're in the armed forces, we're teaching Big Mind and Zen uh, at the Air Force Academy. So there's a lot of areas that we want to uh, affect with the work.
1: Ken Wilber. To get back to that for a, for a moment, he said that he thinks that the big mind process is arguably the most important and original discovery in the last two centuries of Buddhism. That's quite quite a claim. Um, so how to, has uh, your relationship with the Integral Institute informed your work or or would you say you teach or practice uh, a sort of integral you Buddhism?
2: Know, Ken says that, that. What I'm teaching is an integral Buddhism. Um, I don't know if I've ever made that claim, Uh, maybe it is. I think that uh, Big Mind has become a very integral part of Integral. And Integral has become a very big part uh, of Big Mind and my work. Uh, About a third of the population, wherever I am in the world, and teaching, seems to be people from Integral. Uh, which is a lot of people. If you get 100 people, some 30-plus people are from Integral, and that's no matter what part of the world I'm teaching in. So it seems to have really taken root in that practice. Uh, Of course, the other two-thirds are made up of Zen people and people off the street, people who have never done any spiritual practice. And it seems like what is so effective about the big mind is anyone can do it and they don't need to have any background.
1: One of the people that experienced, can we say, a Kinsho experience one time, was a young guy that actually hadn't had any uh, practice or formal Zen training, and he, you talk about him in the book, um, just spoke with such clarity, and, and this inspired you to... That's great
2: That's absolutely great global uh, I had, had met here. him before. He had been here a couple of times to the center. He had learned to sit, but he had no real background in Zen. He was actually a philosophy major at a local college here. And uh, we were in this workshop. I don't remember how many people were there. Probably around 60 people. And, and I asked, and I don't remember what voice I asked to speak to If it was Big Mind or the Buddha, whatever it was, the clarity when he acknowledged who he was, and the clarity that came out of that blew, blew me away. And that's when I realized I had touched onto something or tapped into something that was pretty mind blowing. Uh, and I began to really explore that. It took a while for it to evolve. It's still evolving, actually, after eight years. Uh, but before I really knew what I had kind of walked into, uh, and it, now it all seems so obvious. Uh, after doing it for eight years, that why it works. Because what we know from Buddhism is we know that uh, the more I am identified with something, the more I'm attached to it, the more it causes suffering. So I'm more identified to my car than I am to your car. Uh, I'm more attached to my children than I am to somebody else's children. Uh, I'm more attached to my wife than to somebody else's wife. And therefore, that creates more suffering. Not that the attachment is bad, it just creates suffering. There's no good or bad about it. So with the big mind work, what we find is, as I start giving voice to these various aspects of the mind, which in Buddhism is called Abhidharma, uh, all these voices or aspects are dharmas, And as I give voice to them, I become less and less identified with the self. And therefore, less attached to the self. So therefore, it's easier to drop the self because I'm less identified and attached to it. So when we sit, part of the big problem is we're so identified with the self, we're so attached to it, and we are sitting there to drop off body-mind or to let go of the self, we can't do it. it, The self is clinging to itself and its own identification with it. As soon as we do this work, then we sit. It's so much easier to just let it go because we already have that distance from it, therefore less attachment to it. So that's one of the reasons it works.
1: And it's called... Mm -hmm. It's called...
2: Voice dialogue no, no, it's not called Voice Dialogue. Voice Dialogue West. is the work that I studied with Hal and Sidra Stone in 1983-84. And Hal and Sidra discovered Voice Dialogue. Uh, they, Hal was a union analyst, and Sidra was a psychotherapist. And together, they came up with this technique called Voice Dialogue, which was based on union work and Gestalt work. I then studied that with them for a year, worked on it for 16 years, and developed the Big Mind, which is not voice dialogue. I don't want to confuse it because it won't do voice dialogue justice. Voice dialogue has a completely different uh, uh, purpose. The purpose of voice dialogue is more of a psychologically becoming healthy. Uh, Big Mind has that too, but it's more getting in touch with our true self, our true nature. So there's a different point to it. They never work with groups. It's always a one-on-one individual work, Uh, whereas I work almost always with groups, although I do do some individual work. Um, And the goal is completely different. I did want to say something else. Yeah, I want to say, in speaking about why the big mind works so effectively. The other thing that is not very well known within Buddhism, because it's one does this at the end of one's study at shiho time, transmission time, or at the end of kōan study, if one does kōan study, uh, and that is what we get into, uh, in particularly in the more esoteric soto school, is what we call invoking the Buddhas and ancestors, meaning we bring them in and when let's say for myself when i give transmission to someone uh like i received the transmission in 1980 and i've given it now to over 20 people uh this particular ceremony called denkai and the shiho to about 10 people uh shiho is actual transmission and denkai is receiving the lineage so you can pass on the lineage when we do that what we do is we invoke the Buddha and become one with the Buddha by saying, by actually, uh, I am the Buddha. I am the Buddha. So even within the Soto school, we do the same process, but it's not very well known. Not very many people know that because you have to be a successor to even realize that. So, the the Big Mind work is very much based in Buddhist principles. It's just that I discovered it can work for anyone. Uh, up to now, it's only been for advanced students.
1: Is there a reason that you think it might, should be only reserved for advanced students? Is there a any potential danger in, for example, dialoguing with these different sub-personalities and then finding, uh-oh, like... You know, I'm not, I'm
2: not comfortable with this or this is opening up something um, much larger. Okay, I had that same uh, concern, that? particularly when I first started. I've now shared the my process with probably tens of thousands of people and maybe maybe even more than that. And I haven't run into one incident of a problem, not one. And I think because we're all self-protect, in other words... Just like you just said, if we get to a place that is too much for somebody, the protective mechanism comes in very nicely and protects the person. It's not like taking LSD or something like that where you have no control. The controller and protector are always uh, accessible, always right there. And when they feel threatened in any way, they just come back in and it's never been a problem. And I'm not, actually, I'm not worried about it.
0: This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com, copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by C for Chaos. For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.seaforchaos.com.